Do you know two women and one of them is talkative while the other is quiet? In a group situation, do you think the talkative woman is also the clever one? Is being a quiet person detrimental to how you are perceived, especially if you are a woman? How often do you feel you need to fill a silence by just talking? This is Stories Seldom Told. I am Smitha Tharoor. Hello, everybody. I'd like to introduce Charmi Chedda. Charmi Chedda is a filmmaker, writer, theatre director in Bhutan. Charmi moved to Bhutan 10 years ago from India and now sees Bhutan as her home. Charmi has made two feature films, Gangnam Girl and Bilwa. And well, guess what? I've seen both films, I'm happy to announce, which is why I reached out to Charmi to say I'd love to speak to her further. Charmi is currently working with Samu, which is Bhutan's first OTT platform as a creative director. Thank you, Charmi, for joining me today to share your stories of unconscious bias. Nata, thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy you have watched both the films. And I, re I remember and loved our interaction after the screening of Gangnam at uh, BFI. That's and correct. It was shocked, but it was really, it was really nice. So thank you. And it so won an award at BFI, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Charmi. That's correct. Yes, yes, it was a Debbie Award. It was for the best film. So, and it was for my first feature film. So, yes, it was a very happy moment. And I, I yeah. meeting you that was, Which is uh, fantastic. Yeah, Imagine yeah, that. Your feedback. <laughs> No, which is which is great. So, so I mean, you know, I I I'd love to hear more about your influences and so on. Which is why you and I are here together to have this conversation. You're sitting in Bhutan, and I'm sitting in Delhi, um, uh, not in London, which is where I usually live. So, it's just a mere one-half time difference, which is also quite nice to be able to have our conversation. Mm -hmm. But but before we even have this chat, when we're thinking about the words unconscious bias, what does that what does that mean to you? You know, first of all, I must say that I really love your idea of the podcast and uh, you gave me homework and I, I loved that because I researched. Of course, there is a certain understanding when you hear the word, but it, everything changes when you start, you know, uh, diving deeper into this, into this topic. And uh, we're all, I think, living examples of this, this unconscious bias. A lot of our lives actually is made. So I, I'm sure that every time you meet the guests, they all have the similar things to say in terms of, yes, it is like holding of, you know, beliefs or maybe a holding of beliefs like outside of your conscious understanding of things. And maybe that is influenced by where we come from and how we are molded, people around us, our parents, our community and all of that. But I also think it is I also think it's also a way, uh, as human beings, we have this sort of habit of putting everything into boxes, ideas, people, things. We are always consciously actually somewhere for putting things into boxes. And maybe that is coming from unconscious bias. It, may, it makes a lot of sense, Charmi. Yeah, no, and, we, and we do, don't we? we it, it makes life so much easier for us, doesn't it, if we put things into boxes. It's in the box. We know where it is. We know how to find X, Y, Z. And as if, if the box is like a bit like Pandora's box gets opened and then things are flying all over the place, 
I suppose to some degree we have less control of our lives, maybe. I'm not sure. But what you're saying makes absolute sense to me. And when I think of when I think of this box, it becomes even more interesting because yes, I'm a filmmaker, but I also come from theater background and also a lot of dance. And in theater and dance, we always do things in circle. And even when I facilitate or I start, I do everything in a circle. Uh, and I feel that sort of changes everything compared to a very classroom or a theater kind of setup, which is one and the people facing you. So that sort of, that is why I feel art has so much influence in, in finding the voice, in finding a true self, which is very sort of opposite to the unconscious. No, and I, and I love the fact that you you decided instinctively um, to always do things in a circle because immediately what I'm visualizing is one of inclusivity. Um, there's no there's no front and back. There's no right and left. It's all we're all we're all together. Yeah, this is it. There's one circle. It's a one collective, isn't there? That's that's great. So, but but tell tell us a little bit more about you then, Charmi. I mean. You know, you said you, you've been thinking about unconscious bias because I gave you homework. Uh -huh. But I mean, homework as in sort of delving deeper into your own stories. And and that's that's what I'd, we'd love to, you know, both the listeners and myself would love to hear more about. Could you could you share a story with us? Sure. You know, um, I think as artists, as a filmmaker, storyteller, I think we live a little bit on the edge and especially Especially in the world of creation, I, I and I realize it's more thanks to your homework that we live lives which is like all I think sort of interwoven and connected. I, I somewhere I think I don't know where my my life my reality um, merges with my stories, and everything is like an extension. So I think for my first story, that is why I picked up my character for my second film, which you have watched, uh, Bilwa. An offering, you know. So um, this this film and the story is primarily about a monk who's been asked to set out on a journey outside of his comfort zone, outside of a monastery, uh, to interact with the world outside. And somewhere, his teacher, uh, who's a very high realized person, realized monk, uh, sees that. He has it in him, but he needs to break these barriers, conformity, because this monk has grown up with uh, always wearing uh, red robes and also having a certain idea about life, about religion, about spirituality. His life has always been about chanting and prayers. And he has just this imagination of the outside world, which probably is very perfect in his head. So I think that when he goes out into the world and meets young people and he's faced with the, the reality of society, of the lives of young people, be it their music, be it their way of life, be it their issues, their problems, his world is sort of uh, thrown off. And I think he becomes like this perfect example of unconscious bias because what he really needs to do here is break out of this belief system that he's born with, that he's grown up with. And what a drastic, different world it is. Because this is what is, again, very special about Bhutan. Bhutan has a lot of these parallel worlds going on. 
you have on one side this very urban modern you know things and life moving that way because you when you look outside of the window you have monastery and you have mountains and you know you you live in the surreal world and a lot of things are very magical at the same time and on the streets you will see monks and upon the mountains you'll see yaks and then in the city you have a cafe where you get pizza so there's this two very beautiful opposing worlds living together so i think he for me uh, becomes this perfect example of unconscious bias and when he breaks this actually he truly finds a path and purpose of life yeah and in fact it it's, it's reminding me a little bit of 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 said you know gautama buddha and and for those of us who don't yeah. know the story of buddha he was he was a prince he was a king he had a wife he had a child uh, he lived in a luxurious life in a in a palace but he was cocooned in the palace and his father did yeah. not want him to see any kind of what you and i would call real life uh, whether it's having a pizza or metaphorically i mean or whether it's uh, it's death or whether it's illness or whether it's old age and then of course the story is that you know he wants to go out one day and and over a period of of three visits he sees death he sees old age and he sees suffering and he realizes that he needs to know more about the world and so that some of us who know the story of buddha would know that story but i thought i should just relate it for the context of for, for our listeners because not everybody would know that story but to me mm-hmm. what you're saying makes sense because but you're saying that that influenced you i mean that that movie bilwa the film that i that i saw most recently influenced you because it was so much about you so say so tell true. us a little bit more it's so true i mean every time we write a story and we create characters somewhere these characters are an extension uh, of ourselves or of our lives somewhere so i i think that that's why i think i chose this uh particular thing that we live in when when we grow up and when we live just in our world with our families and our community our ideas sort of stick to that and we grow up believing that that is the truth that is our truth that is what we are thinking and we are feeling and that's also that that that's the way of doing things but it's only when we break out of our comfort zone and go out and see the world through different people and different eyes and then also have this empathy i think empathy becomes and plays a very big role here so for me when monk this monk uh, whose name is tempa in the film he when he goes out in the beginning he's reluctant he almost doesn't want to go he, he says please like you know let me stay in the monastery i don't want to go into this outside world but then when he goes out his first reaction is what's wrong with these kids you know how can they behave like this but then slowly when he gets into the bottom of their story he actually turns into an empath and i think for me personally that's what happened to me as well that i lived in a certain way in the city and then i come to the mountains and i look at life here and i look at their belief system and the thinking and i started changing and i'm i can say that over 10 years i have changed a lot so it's it's really in fact it was very shocking for me that when i started making films after i moved from theater into films my stories were very naturally botany stories stories of the mountain because now i've integrated so much into this world that that's what was coming naturally because i think i broke 
I've broken my own biases and I've come and I've adapted and integrated into this beautiful place here. So I think so that's in, where in many ways, just for us to understand further, Charmi, because you 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 know, when I when I read your introduction out, um, all I said is that you moved to Bhutan 10 years ago. So you're actually technically not Bhutanese, but certainly no. But certainly from a perspective of your implicit influence in terms of filmmaking, you are completely Bhutanese. That's what you're saying. Totally. I, I, I would say that actually uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a true Indian. That's why I'm a true Bhutanese. And I'm a true Bhutanese. That's why I'm a true Indian. That's how I, I look at it. Uh, I look at one as my roots and one as my wings. Because I think I truly broke out of my own prison and I had I could spread my wings in the way I want and that happened here and that's why I owe so much to Bhutan and I feel so much at home here so I was like I born and brought up in Bombay but my roots are in Kutch run of Kutch and uh, you know it's very strange but growing up and growing up in Bombay and studying in a convent school, after coming, I realized that we don't really have anything like culture as such, you know, we're a mix of many things. And maybe that is also positive in a way. That's why we can adapt, I think, very easily. But there is definitely a lack of culture growing up in big cities. And after I moved to Bhutan, I happened to be the creative director of Royal Academy of Performing Arts, which comes under the Ministry of Home and Cultural Affairs in Bhutan. And I work very closely with the artists, with the culture, actually, the traditional music and dance. And one day when I was watching the traditional dance here, uh, the folk dance, which also happens in a circle, and suddenly I was transported. And I was like, oh my God, that's so much like, you know, like Gujarat, like Kutch where you do the garba in the, in the circle and the hands move the same way and you're channeling the goddess. And even here it is, you know, equivalent of Saraswati, which is Yanshidma. So everything just started changing and making sense. And now, strangely, I can't relate to the city anymore, but my heart has totally gone. And now I'm doing research on my roots on Kutch. I'm trying to find out more about that story. About, about your roots. Yeah, thanks to a place that I never thought, first of all, I would be in. Yeah. So it's just amazing. How but isn't that interesting, though, things. about us as human beings um, and the fact that you needed to be in another country for 10 years and absorb that culture, embrace that culture, uh, live that culture for you to then go back to your original roots of Kutch and start learning and absorbing about that. It says so much about us as human beings. But but tell us another story, Charmi. Uh, my second one, again, uh, my third one is a little bit more about life and me. The second one, again, is from my first film. But that film, is Gundam Girls, was basically, as you know, story about four friends, four women. And even though it was based in Bhutan, in the capital city of Thimphu, every time I've shown this film anywhere and people from all over the world when they've watched the first reaction has been as you know that's like us we can relate to this and again even though it was like women-centric even men 
have told me that they could relate to it because it's a story of friendship. But from that, I would like to talk about a particular thing because I think that's somewhere again, I've experienced, had a personal experience of that. Um, so the there's one character in the film named Tara and there's her friend, her best friend, Soki, who's an artist. Now in the film plot, I don't want to of course give away too much of don't that. Don't give it away, no. But, <laughs> but Tara basically finds that her best friend, uh, or rather she doubts or she knows, we don't know, but thinks that her best friend is having an affair with her father. Now the plot goes around this, but what my focus here mainly was that Soki is a very outgoing, bold artist. You know, she speaks her mind and she's very free and she does her, her love interests usually are men who are much, uh, much older, mature men. So Tara somewhere, we don't know whether that's reality, but she assumes and even though she's seen things or not seen things clearly, she assumes that because she's like this, because Soki's like this, it is very, very natural. And it is the reality that she probably has an affair with my father. And I feel that this is something that happens in every society, especially to women, women who are very, uh, I, I think this is a great example for me personally of unconscious bias. I, I feel that somebody we see as very free and colorful, we immediately stereotype these women and women who are generally in, in I'm talking about a judgmental sort of a situation here and women who behave in a certain way if they're very serious or if they speak less they tend to be or maybe she's an introvert or maybe she's not a flirt or she's not too open-minded and so you feel this I, is specifically I, more for women than for men because we are we're yeah. looking and I've seen some ads around this as well where you know you you know advertising I can't remember what the ad was for, but when you when you're seeing a woman with you know stiletto heels and paint nail polish and trying to suggest something, um, they don't see her as seriously as perhaps the man who's wearing a suit and looking quite serious. And they're both senior professionals in a corporate organization, purely because of the dress, the superficial look of the person. And you're adding to that, and what you're saying is. It's also about behavior patterns. So you're saying if a woman is fairly, uh, very friendly, voluble, confident, uh, um, extrovert, for want of a better word, she's judged in a particular way, whereas a quiet, more serious person is judged in a very contradictory way. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying again all the time, but a lot this has happened. I'll give you another extension, an example of this. I mean, I grew up actually as an introvert. As a sorry? As an introvert. All right. I, I, I was an introvert, actually. Uh, I can say that's my... What is an introvert? Firstly, um, let me ask you that question. Um, I, I mean, in, in the most typical sense, growing up, I was someone who was very quiet, very shy, keeping to myself. I wouldn't want to talk to anybody or be noticed. And I would ensure that, you know... If I'm in a room, I'm almost like not there. So I wouldn't have friends. I would Why was that, do you think, Charmi? Let's just take uh, stay with that for a minute. Why were you uh, an introvert? I think, first of all, that was my sort of personality that I was born with. And um, But 
there is other side to it that I was also very imaginative. And I still feel that my my storyteller side actually comes from there. My writer side actually comes from that space, that space of being with my own thoughts and my own beliefs. And I, I, there was a world in, inside of my head and the world was enough for me. There was a universe I was living in and that was fine. I looked at the outside maybe as strange. It could be something to do with where I came from before if we believe in the concept of past life. I don't know. Right. But then and everybody kept saying, you know, when growing up, I don't know what is this compulsive need of uh, not just parents, but especially extended family to have like, oh, she's so quiet, you should do something about it. Why don't you, she, she should be more confident. Why? Why this? Why can't well, That's another thing you see. So, so you, because earlier on, when we were talking about looking at two women, two adult women, one who's voluble and, and extrovert and chatty, the assumptions you were saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that she <coughs> she is somebody who's probably more free and easy, might have more lovers, might have a better different kind of life, whereas the quiet, shy, serious woman may not have many boyfriends or may not have that kind of life at all. That was the adult point of quiet and not so quiet. But as, as a child, but as a child, what you're saying is that what the parents want for the quiet child is for the quiet child to talk more. So what does that suggest then in terms of expectations of the person? I think, I think parents, and today I think it's even more, I think parents in general are just confused about what they want out of their child. Because in today's time, I think things have changed a lot in terms of they want the kids to be confident and extroverted because of the competition out there, and they want them to remain that way. But I think earlier it was a little bit more on a stranger because first they want you to talk, and when you start talking, they're wondering that why are you talking so much, or why have you turned into this, you know? So now you're as good enough, is what you're saying. Yeah, now now I think things are changing according to, but there are a few of these, I would say, biases that, that still remain, that somehow still remain. Also, the other thing is that I think uh, the parents would feel that if the child is very quiet and introverted, people may think that she's not intelligent enough uh, or she's not adaptable or smart enough. That was also, I think, uh, Why is it? Problem. Why is it that the world over? It's not Bhutan. It's not India. The world over, that we make. I think somewhere because um, everyone is constantly putting up a show. I feel, and the the world expects you to constantly put up a show. Uh, and now, with I think with uh, social media and all these platforms, I think even more, even more so that. You know, everybody's got, I mean, it's really, I think for uh, for the, even like, for example, making a video or making, you know, a TikTok or making an, a reel, uh, I'm, I'm really, um, I won't be surprised if people are confused about the real and the real as time is passing. So I think this judgment about one's intelligence really comes out of show and everybody, it's like you're sitting in a meeting or you're with friends. You need to have something to say. 
if you if you don't have anything to say, if you decide to be quiet, it's like, oh, you know, this person is not smart enough. They don't they they don't have anything to say. But in your but in your particular instance, the reason you were quiet, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, um, is because you were making up your stories in your head. And you were quite happy with yourself. You were not unhappy being quiet. Is that not correct? Really. Not at all. In fact, in fact, I think one of the, I think, issue as I would say, or as I think it would be perceived is, I think I used to understand things a lot more than someone my age would have grasped. Why is that? Or understood. I, I think so. Uh, I don't know. It was just something naturally that probably I was born with. But I remember even at the age of eight or nine or 10, my understanding of human beings and world was something that was, I think, really beyond my Asian years. And when you have that kind of thinking and feeling, I think you cannot really articulate it. And at the same time, you're somehow your own um, play-like, child-like innocence sort of, I think it's, it, it goes away. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to... You know, as we speak, also, I'm trying to decode this mm -hmm. a little bit. So I think that sort of silence also comes from there. I was very comfortable and happy, but there was no, but... See, but but there's, a, the there's a lot of time, judgment, I find, um, yes. on on people having to fill a silence. Um, if, you, if you're mm -hmm. in a group and there are three or four of you speaking and then it goes silent someone always feels the need to fill that silence by speaking up. But sometimes silence by itself can be quite powerful as well, can it not? Very powerful. I think now when I started writing again, and especially when I, you know, sort of started writing uh, stories and book films, I think I'm getting my energy, you can say, or my this power from that self, from my young self. From your young self. Because I, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, I've read the book. It's a book by Claire Keegan called Foster, an Irish writer. And she, the book was made into a film uh, called The Quiet Girl. And that that has been nominated for an Oscar uh, as a foreign yeah. film because it's an Irish. It's not an English. And there is a line yeah. in the book and, and in the film, I've read the book and seen the film, where the child is a quiet girl. It's a quiet girl. And a character who's like her father says to her something like being quiet is a good thing. It's fine. You only need to speak when you need to speak. And that's very powerful. The idea of being quiet if you need to be quiet is okay. Just because you're eight or 10, and this is a young girl about that age, um, she's not obliged to speak. And she has the power of authority mm -hmm. from an adult who says it's okay, which makes it even more powerful. And, and that's it, that getting that okay from an adult around you actually just, I think, change, change everything. Absolutely. And, um, uh, I, I, again, I think in my case, I will not say that there were adults who were pushing me to speak, but my, my mom also is very, she loves art. So she used to just take me for a lot of things like, drama classes and dance and tennis and painting and but for me that used to be like a nightmare like she was very well-being about it but for me it used to be like oh my god because then I have to be around people and that used to be very hard on me actually but now again half the things I do is thanks to her and 
those experiences that I had very early on in in life. So, you know, it's just as as you at that time I used to cause I used to say, well, you know, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to go for this. I don't want to I don't want to go for this class. But now I actually quite um, I have so much I gratitude actually towards Yeah, with well, a benefit of hindsight so, we can learn a lot, can't we? So I think coming back again to this this character of Tokyan, as I was giving my own example, I then almost had a switch zone and I turned into this complete brat overnight at somewhere at the age of 14 or, or something in school. And I was naughty and people were shocked, like especially my family, that what happened to her. I was this and I went into a, I went to a convent school. So it was something just that even I cannot fathom until today that how how did that happen? And I was I was like a little bit like a tomboy, you know, short hair and out there and a colorful and very flamboyant uh, personality. I suddenly became that. And then that was very hard for people to digest. And everyone, especially in the family and extended family, think, oh, oh my God, she's, she's, you know, you, you cannot, she's wild. Why was that? What was it? What was your epiphany or what was the trigger that made you go from I, the quiet girl to this I, full of honestly, life, really, naughty, tomboyish I, child? I, I wish there was something I more. It really, literally feels like I slept one night and I woke up next morning as, as, as someone else. You just want to be somebody else. There was like a switch, is it? There was a switch. There was a switch soul. It's like maybe I had like a deal and like somebody's just gone out and someone else has come in. I, I don't know. I don't know. But yes, even today, there are moments where I think that, as I said, that the shell inside does come. And in fact, very recently, I feel that more and I like it. And now I can handle both of these very well. These two selves that I have. I think I can handle very well. But I mean, I really have been subjected to this unconscious bias, which has left me so confused at at an age, especially in my 20s. I'm like, what do people want, you know? When you are this, they want you to be this. When you become this, they want you to be this. So there is, uh, and that's where somewhere this character and these characters also came from, these four girls. I see a little bit of me in all four of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I feel that just because somebody looks a certain way or talks a certain way or smiles a certain way. Don't put them into a box. Don't put them into a box. That's what you, you know said them? right at the outset. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know what they are and what yeah. they're made of, where they come from, the journey. So... Okay, share another story with us, uh, Charmi. Um, I have one more, and this this one is interesting. It's about, I think, our biases and, uh, again, unconscious, I think, bias about success and money and idea of success, you know, especially coming from, the, from Asia, from, again, Indian roots. So when I decided, I came to the Ghana as a tourist, and I fell in love. Instantly, and I just felt that I've arrived home. I've come home, and I I happened to get a job and everything. So I had an opportunity to quickly move here. But when I disclosed this to my friends and family, 
and I had this solid career going on in Bombay. I was doing well. And everyone was like, you know, who goes to the mountains? Who goes to the mountains? You know, why you, you should go to the UK, you go to US, you go to Australia, you go to you know something which is modern, some somewhere where you grow. And that made me really think that all the more reasons I don't want to live here. And I'm running to the mountains for sure. And I made my decision and I came here and it's the best decision of my life. And I'm so happy. And in my eyes and mind, I'm very successful with what I'm doing because I'm so happy. But the idea of success, let's just work with that first for another minute. Stay with that, should I say, for another minute. Um, What does success look like? What does success even mean? Um, I don't know about really about others because I've had this discussion over and over again. And I do know for many people, it is definitely the car you drive and uh, it's your bank balance and it's your awards and so on. And what size of house and where your house is. And in India and Bombay, Delhi, typically in which area <laughs> you, you live in the south, the north and all of that. But for me, Personally, I think I look at growth success as a horizontal uh, expansion and of my heart, myself, of my mind and of my purpose of life. And if I can do all of that and I can have other people with me in that and I can smile end of the day and be happy and radiate a light from inside me, I think that is, and that's truly what it is. And that's why I think I do. I live here and I love living here for, I mean, many other reasons. Can you, can you, because I think it'll be useful for the listeners to understand what you mean by horizontal. You know, you said your life is horizontal. What does that mean? Um, I, can you, I want you to really help us understand a little bit more what that looks like. This is just my, I think it's a little bit. No, this is how you think. Yeah, but we. Yeah. it's about us learning uh-huh. also from that. Uh, I, I have never somehow, I don't know, even from, when I was very young, I've never had this thing of I will go to school, then I'll go to college, I'll go to university, I'll go. There's never been a ladder because, first of all, I broke all those barriers, even of education. I started work when I was 17. I <laughs> had my high school complete much later. I did, and I was learning everything. I had to do everything possible. So I have broken those barriers all the time. I've never been some a, a conformist and you know I've had a very unconventional way of living so I feel that we are expected um in, in this world that we live in everybody thinks there's this ladder that we are climbing so for me this vertical I feel when you go anti-gravity there's only that much you can grow and at some point you're going to collapse and this is also it's a solo journey when you just go vertical it's just you alone but the minute you grow this way, sideways, stronger, your foundation is stronger. There's room for many to come with you. You sort of uh, you grow together, and uh, it's it's a more stronger, long term uh, something with good foundation. So you will not just be up there and holding the award alone, but you will have so much more, and uh, you will have so much of everything in your life. So. That's, what that's, be- that's beautifully said. I just I just want to summarize that again for our listeners because what you're saying really is that the idea of success for you personally 
and maybe for others who are listening, they might be nodding their heads and saying, I get that, Charmi, I totally do, is not about climbing that vertical ladder. <clears throat> it's not about going up all by yourself, sometimes when you're pushing, being pushed down by others and then crawling back up again. It's actually, mm-hmm. when we're using the word horizontal, you're talking about what you said much earlier on, which is about the circle. Um, and the fact yeah. that it's about inclusive and the fact that mm-hmm. you want to create roots and create a foundation that helps you grow because it's about your success, but you're not doing it alone. No, it's not possible. It's not possible to live on this earth and say that I did it and I'm alone in this. I don't think, I mean, if some it were that great, I don't think we would be living this humanly like just as we do. So I think there is definitely, this is a reason why we are, where society is, we're born to a family. Otherwise, we would probably just, <laughs> you know, fall from the sky. So if we really see the nature of our life, and again, I think this is an observation which became stronger um, and became my life philosophy when I moved here. And, you know, Bhutan emphasizes so much on uh, GNH, the gross national happiness, and on environment. This is a carbon negative country with 70% mandatory tree forest. You cannot cut the forest down. And it's, it's really all around you. And I, I think the more I lived here, I understood that these life lessons are all actually in the nature. They're all in the forest. If you just observe how a tree grows or how a mountain sits, you just know that is the life is right there. You don't have to, you know, struggle much. So I, I think when I talk all of this, it comes also a lot. Like it was there somewhere, but here I could bring it all. From the city of Bombay to the country of Bhutan, um, which is I've never been to Bhutan, but whatever pictures I've seen, and certainly your two films that are shot in Bhutan, uh, I can see the absolute stunning beauty of the country, um, the natural mm-hmm. landscape, the mountains, the trees, the forest. So, so I understand where you're coming from. That's yeah, and how much that can give us. <clears throat> but, yeah. but so I, I think you've already answered my question, Charmi, with your explanation of, of, of your, of your growing and having success through horizontal inclusive way of living. <clears throat> but perhaps you want to add to that when you, if you were to think about these daily unconscious biases that challenge us all the time, how do you manage them? Um, I, I think that um, I would not say that I've been able to manage all my unconscious biases because I think as human beings, we keep, you know, thanks to our DNA, our body memory, the way we've grown up. There are some things that are just so I think take, taking out, getting it out of our system, and it probably happens slowly over the period of time. But I think for me, it is awareness. I'm, I'm very aware whether I'm aware as self aware. That's what you're saying. Self awareness, self awareness, and uh, I'm very conscious about that. That I sort of, I think every night I do analyze my day, my words, my actions, my interactions with people and I, I think that's one way of handling it and then again I think I'm very lucky that I can write and uh, you know when when I started thinking more about unconscious bias thanks to you I realized that all our characters are actually based on this they're all 
in this journey of unconscious, starting from unconscious bias to finding their true self and their true voice. This sort of non-ego in a way, or not, you know, and open to accepting things and people as they are. So uh, I think it's very simple. There's there's nothing like, you know, big to it. Or I do this, I do that. It's, it's not possible. Just I'm very human and flawed. And uh, every day uh, there are beautiful moments and then there are struggle. But I think I get through all of it. And especially for the sake of my art, through awareness and self-awareness. So really, thank you for that, because it's really much, it's entirely about self-reflection, self-awareness on a, on a constant level um, and constantly questioning yourself about the decisions you've made and what you're doing. And that's not very easy to do, but you're just doing it as a normal. Yes, yes, because um, I think, again, because the pursuit of life here is something else for me, and that's why I chose this life. Uh, that I've chosen uh, to live. If if I don't do this, then there is really no point for me to live in this beautiful <laughs> space here and all it has to offer. So yes, it, it's not easy at times, uh, but there, it's a constant person. I get that. And of course, Bhutan is there to support you. Uh, the beauty yeah. of Bhutan to support you in your own growth and learning. That's great. Charmi, Charmi Chenda, that is very kind of you to give me your time and share your stories of unconscious bias with me today. Thank you so much for, you know, uh, having me for this. And from, I, I forgot that we are having this uh, podcast and Zoom. I, I just forgot. I, I just went into a different world and I was listening to you and you were bringing out all these. I think you brought up a lot of memories and stories and it's going to linger on for some time now. And probably could come out in the form of some other stories. I bet it will. And of course, for those of you who have not seen Charmi's film, you can certainly be able to find Ganganam Girls. Uh, and I'm sure you will be able to see Bilva very soon too as well. So thank you again, Charmi. Thank you so much, Smitha. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stories Seldom Told. I am Smitha Tharoor. It is you, the listener, that makes this podcast what it is. If you like this podcast, please do share. If any of you anywhere in the world feel that you have stories to share, please do connect with me on social media at SmithArthurur on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or on my company page, Tharoor Associates, on Facebook. We will be back next week. <laughs>